victims, for those of you who delight in dread, who fantasize about fear, who glorify gore, welcome. You have found the place where the horror returns. Listeners, beware. This podcast contains major plot spoilers and the foulest of language. Join us in celebrating the old and the new, the best and the worst in horror. Welcome home. This is the podcast that proves the horror never ends. Each episode, we seek out and review a brand new horror movie. Uh, although we're going to do a little different this week, uh, we are going to be going south of the border to the films of Mexico and covering films of three Mexican directors, at, le- at least two. Did, it, did any, any of you guys get a chance to check out Santo? I did. Yeah, I watched it. All right. I sort of, I sort of like breezed through it, so I have a little to say, but not a whole lot. That, that's how you all play right. with these, with those kind of movies. You, you can yeah, I figured as much. <laughs> <laughs> you hit the, you hit the nail right on the head, Pedro. <laughs> we, uh, we do include spoilers for the new film. Uh, well, actually, we'll, we'll, we'll include spoilers for all the films because they've been out a while. Yeah, the newest one um, is from 2001. So uh, if you haven't seen it, that's your fault. I mean, ah, man, I'm telling you, we go, we, we go back on this, on this show. Uh, what, 1970, 72, and 2001, right, guys? Yes. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Yeah. All right, well, then I'll just get this out of the way, If especially if you're a new listener to the show. The other thing that we may do from time to time is use a few four-letter words. This is a horror podcast, and horror movies do tend to be R-rated, so you can pretty much expect us to be, too. I'm Lance, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts Brian and Philip. And uh, joining us tonight is our good friend uh, Pedro Nunez from the K-Fabulous Lucha Brothers podcast. Uh, Pedro, what are you guys up to over there, man? Oh, man, that's the, listening to your intro, that's the complete opposite of our show. We're like the most unproduced, uncoordinated, un-PC show you could ever imagine. And uh, we just kind of wing it every time we go out there. And uh, we just, you know, we, we review old wrestling shows. So if you're a fan of wrestling... You know, everything from WWE, WCW, ECW. Um, we run the gamut. We talk a little international stuff. You know, uh, Lucha, Japanese. Uh, you know, give us a shot. You know, we're, we're different. The reason why why we're a little bit more unconventional and on PC is because there's thousands of podcasts that are, first of all, they got bigger budgets than we do. And uh, I felt that if you can't if you can't compete with those kind of podcasts, we had to be different. So, we, we you know, we see the, uh, the humor side of wrestling, and we kind of joke around. I tend to get pretty uh, hammered when I do those shows, so, um, yeah. <laughs> so we, we pretty much um, we pretty much just review old uh, wrestling shows, and that's pretty much. And then we talk a little bit of news now because our fan base is growing, and they kind of wanted us to uh, tackle some of the more uh, recent events. So we do that now a little. All bit. right. And uh, that's pretty much it. So yeah, okay, fabulous Lucha Brothers. We're on Geekdom101.com, and um, you know, check it out if that's your thing. Awesome, man. Oh, so uh, you guys cover right in here. <laughs> hey, you guys cover any midget wrestling? Oh, I mean, from time to time, you'll see midgets <laughs> on the main show, you know. Right. And, and the thing about professional wrestling is that if you're like five foot ten, back in the 80s, you were considered a midget by a lot of these promoters, you know, because they hired nothing but monsters, steroid monsters and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess by default, we do cover midgets. 
that's cool, man. Well, hey, what's your uh, what's your cool of the week, man? What's the coolest thing you've checked out this week? Usually, most of these films are kind of uh, these little gems you kind of find on VOD nowadays because a lot of these films just won't get theatrical. But you know, this one has a big studio behind it, and um, I know the filmmaker that directed it did a, a bunch of like cool shorts that have like a big following on the internet. Um, I enjoyed it, man. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna spoil it because it's still fairly new. But uh, other than some of the cliche horror tropes that kind of get on my nerves nowadays, which you know this film had an abundance of. Um, but that, that, that's I expected that because it's a big studio film. Um, yeah. And then, you know, again, this is not spoiling it. It's just the 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 actual possession, which is put it that way. And the people that have seen it know what I'm talking about. I thought that was a little bit too uh, simplistic, you know. And that's pretty much it. But besides that, it's it's a great time, uh, fun film. It, it expands the mythology uh, of of the Conjuring series, and then you know other stuff in there, nice some nice little Easter eggs in there. So yeah, definitely go check it out. I always support these horror films because again, we don't get them every day. We don't get them every week anymore like we used to back in the '80s and the '90s. Um, yeah. And anytime we get a film like this, whether it sucks or it's good, I always go support it because uh, that's the only way we're gonna get more of them. Yeah, good point, oh, man. man. Yeah, you you that was a, that was a good wrap up there. That's a, I think was kind of the consensus last week, man. We uh, we reviewed that one and it came out about the same way. Yeah. D- dumb and fun, but scary as shit. I'll tell you what, though, that sound editing, maybe I was in a very good theater. It was, I mean, that filmmaker used that sound, you know, he squeezed it for all it was worth because you could hear every nook and cranny of that house. And that, mm-hmm. that, that was part of the film right there. That was just the way he, the sound, the sound editing came out was great. And that was, you know, again, when you're in that theater environment, you kind of want that. So that was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, well, I just uh, broke away to to come record with you guys from a show that that my wife and I've been watching this week. That's definitely my cool of the week. It's not uh, it's not horror at all, or even sci-fi or anything like that. But uh, you guys heard of the new show on Netflix called Ozark? Yeah, yeah. yeah oh I, yeah. I benched it. It was pretty good. Yeah, you done? You checked it all out? Oh man, I did it in. Uh, yeah, I'm not proud to say this, but I did the right? twelve hours stunt in about twelve hours. So, that's awesome, wow. man. Yeah. <laughs> Oh uh, well, don't spoil anything because no, I think no, we're definitely. I think we're on like the eighth the eighth episode. But uh, yeah, this is awesome. Basically, it's Jason Jason Bateman is uh, kind of gets in a situation where he has to launder money for for the cartel, and so he convinces the guy not to kill him. That's not a spoiler. That happens in the first literally the first ten minutes. He says he can go make a bunch of cash if he moves out to the Ozarks. So he goes to set up shop there and runs into all these uh, crazy characters there and finds out stuff that's going on. But I think, it, Pedro, would you say it's kind of like the next Breaking Bad? Yeah, in the beginning it has similarities, but I think it causes its own little identity towards the middle and later episodes. But but definitely in the beginning, the the initial reasoning and all that. And then, you, you know, you have the old blue-collar dad, you know, with the family and all that and doing illegal activities. Um, certainly the comparisons are there. And then once he hits the town of Ozark, then you start getting some of those uh, uh, Twin Peaks kind of vibes, you know, with the characters in that town. So I've never seen that. Yeah, so, I mean, the, you've never seen Twin Peaks, or you've never seen the, the, the comparison? No, I've never seen Twin Peaks. I've got uh, a couple of people tell me I need to check it out. Yeah, it was uh, definitely. It's, it's pretty good. I haven't seen the new season yet because I just want to binge it just because it's so out there that, you know, you're not going to get sure. much from one episode. You have to kind of see the entire the entire run to get the complete picture but um 
but yeah, so so people should definitely check it out. It's very bingeable. I mean, once you see the pilot, you know, if, if you're not hooked from the pilot, you're probably not going to like the remaining episodes. But, you know, I, I dare say that people are going to like it for sure. Fair enough. Cool. Yeah, I... Uh... I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take over and say Game of Thrones. I, I'm gonna steal Brian's <laughs> from last week, man. There you go. <laughs> Somebody's well, it every week. Even even uh, last week's episode where uh, they had like one of the biggest uh, reveal moments in in the in the show, mm-hmm. and they just kind of blazed right over it. It's That's when right. uh, right. yeah. Charlie and his and his girl are sitting there talking. I don't think a lot of people caught it, man. But I was like, wait, did she just what? <laughs> uh, not to spoil anything, so I won't get too. Yeah, into no, it, that that one's You know right what I'm here, talking man. about? You, if you, you can spoil it, dude. Tell tell us tell us about it. Oh, I don't know if I'm gonna spoil it yet. All right, you gonna hold on? All right, I got but, you. Maybe wait till we. Yeah. Wait till we do the the end of season or something. Well, I'm, well, I'm, I already saw this week's episode, so I'm off completely. Yeah. <laughs> all these things are dropping. Right. Yeah, I, I saw the leaked episode for this week, and oh my god. Yeah, we don't we don't want to say anything on that one for sure. Holy shit, it's a good episode, man. I am, I am, I I am not going to be ready for this show to end. I'm excited about the whole thing. Then we have to wait another year. Or close to yeah, about another year for the yeah. right, for sure, man. Some shit like that, man. I've been talking about bringing it out later. I'm what not stoked about that. What are you thinking, Brian? Uh, about the about the latest episode, or well, about your cool of the week, brother. Oh, the cool of the week. <laughs> um, I checked out the first two episodes of uh, Room 104, uh, the yeah. new anthology show on HBO. Oh, uh, the Duplass the, brothers, right? Yeah, I, it's pretty good. You know, it's it's not horror. You know, each each story is like kind of almost like a different genre. And okay. um, not not going to really spoil it, spoil it either, because it's a fairly new show. Um, the first episode has to do with a babysitter, and the second one has to do with um, what was it, a pizza delivery guy? And it's just like some some crazy stories going on. And, it's, like, uh, it's not like a setup for a porno movie. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> the, yeah, the, the, the second episode kind of. I knew it's a Yeah, I was about to say uh, a, a little bit on the, the the pizza delivery one. Yeah, and <laughs> you um, think they I'm, did that on purpose? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm already uh, six episodes in on uh, the Defenders that uh, came out uh, today. Oh, okay. Oh shit! I hadn't even started it. And um, so far, it's pretty good. You know, Iron Fist still sucks. No, no. Oh, no. yeah, I mean, he has he has moments where I'm kind of like, finally, you're doing something. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm completely not sold on the fight choreography when it comes to him. But um, it was, it was cool to see uh, all of them together. So um yeah though that's pretty much my been my cool of the week. Uh, apparently the next uh standalone movie is going to be a Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. No. Yeah. <laughs> <Our only hope. laughs> what do you, Which, what do you think about that Pedro? I mean, they got to use it for its worth. They paid 4.5 billion for this franchise, so we're going to get one a year, right. you know, so whether whether yeah. we like it or not. <laughs> you know, I think I think um you know, a Bubba Fett movie still 
pretty good. I think um, right. uh, Darth Sidious movie would be interesting, and an Obi Wan movie. So those are the three I'm looking forward to. I mean, once you start hitting those like you know fourth, fifth string characters, then I'm gonna be like, okay, we get it, you know. But you know how it is. We're still gonna be there on opening day, like a bunch of fanboys, you know, uh, ready to, uh, as they <laughs> say in wrestling, ready to mark out for all the action. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Yeah. They had done me wrong yet. Yeah, yeah, you're you're correct on the Boba Fett. That is in the pipeline. Uh, as possible, they said uh, they're speaking on possible movies after Obi Wan is uh, Boba Fett, Yoda, and Jabba the Hutt. Ooh, Yoda, <laughs> Jabba the awesome. Hutt too. <laughs> but you know what's you know what's interesting about all these uh, films is that uh, one of the things that made these characters so interesting in the original trilogy was was their their mystery. You know, and, and, and sure, and, sure. And the aura of like, you know, you didn't really know them. You knew them, but you didn't really know them. You know, and now it's almost like, obviously, with all these new films coming out, we're gonna see all these characters in a whole new light. You know, and it's it, it could be good or it could be bad. I don't know yet, but I mean, somebody, somebody like Jabba the Hutt, you kind of want him to remain in the shadows because he's, he's like he's so powerful. But you know, how did he ascend to power? We don't know that. You know, so stuff like that. So. You know, we'll see. I'm sure they're going to... You play the percentage game, they're going to have some turkeys eventually. But <laughs> in, 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 until they get there, like I said, we're, we're going to be there all the way, you know? Right. Probably the giant slug that doesn't speak English. I, I imagine that would be a turkey. That's, that's probably <laughs> not a great idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, Stephen well, King... Oh. Go ahead. I don't, I don't, I don't want to step on your toes, Brian, but I don't know if you had this one on your notes um, because it's kind of breaking news. But uh, we just lost uh, Sonny Landham today. Yes, yes, we did. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was uh, – talk about uh, an alpha through and through. I mean, this man was such a man. He was an old-school man's man that when he did Predator – now, keep in mind that Predator had all kinds of men's men, right? The entire cast, pretty much. They had to hire security to protect – uh, what was it to protect uh, them from him? You know that's how crazy this guy was in real life. He's really, one, he was one of those ca- Hollywood characters that you, that don't really exist today. And uh, and the whole you know PC world of social media. No, this guy was a crazy yeah. mother effer, you know. And so um, yeah, man, that's one of the stories I, I that came out in the commentary of Predator. Um, and you know I couldn't believe it until you do some more research. And yeah, they had oh, this guy has such a temper that if somebody you know fuck with him he was gonna go crazy on them so they had to hire security now keep in mind you had like arnold i wouldn't fuck with arnold or or even like uh, like jesse the body ventura you know and somehow they, yeah. had to, they, they had to protect those guys from him from sunny land so it just goes to show you what kind of a character he was and he, yeah. and he had the best death in that movie too by the way because he faced <laughs> that motherfucker head on you know? Yeah, it, it was really sad because I, I didn't realize how sick he was, and I didn't even know he had like both legs amputated and was in a wheelchair. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that either until I read it today. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. So R.I.P. to Sonny. Right. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, where was I? Stephen King's It. Um, I guess uh, it's getting an IMAX release. Okay. Will you guys be seeing it in IMAX? Probably not. Probably not. I'll, I'll probably be seeing it really, on the cheap the cheap seats. <laughs> I don't really see the big difference between IMAX and like normal shit. You know, like when I was right. a kid, I feel like IMAX was more of a like all around the fucking room thing. Yeah. And 
and and now IMAX is the screen is bigger and slightly curved, which you know if I'm going to a theater anyway, it's really not that much of a difference to me, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's something I can take it or leave it. It's not really. Yeah. Any of you any of you guys gonna get the uh, movie pass for nine ninety five a month? You hear about that? You know what I I used to have one. Yeah. When it was like. 40 bucks yeah no i actually i got it when it first came out when it was like 1999 or something yeah and then they like raised the price to some ridiculous like you said like 30 40 bucks but um now it's 9.95 and you can watch a movie every day for a month that's uh that's a pretty good deal right there i'm about to go on the website I, I keep yeah, good luck. Good luck, man. On. I couldn't get I couldn't get the website to to yeah, come it, up. It crashed. It crashed for a while. Yeah, I but, thought they shut it down. But uh, I heard that AMC is already going to fight that, so we're already having the sure. from the uh, the big wigs. And I have yeah. a feeling it ain't going to last very long. But if you could get it while it's there, then go ahead and get it and take advantage of it because uh, oh. you can't beat that price point. Yeah, makes Damn sense. Makes sense. Netflix wants to put everybody out of business, it seems like. They want because uh, they're the ones that are kind of pushing this. So, um, yeah, they want to kind of control the world. But then Disney came out of nowhere and said, well, fuck that's you. Right. We're going to take our shit. We're going to start our own channel. So, um, right. You know, that's all. That's still developing there. Um, and I guess at the end of the day, with all these little battles they're having, all these suits up in their ivory tower, the fans are the ones that are winning for now because you know they're gonna push that market up until they can get it and oh yeah you know, and so you know they're gonna go as cheap as they can just to get that dollar from from us so uh, as as long as they're battling it out then you know we'll, we'll take advantage of all the, the the cheap stuff they're throwing our way. True, absolutely. Uh, we got more Hellboy casting news. Um, Sasha Lane, I'm not too familiar with her, is has been casted as uh, Alex Monahan. Which was, uh, I guess, uh, Hellboy's uh, chick from the first two movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I haven't recognized anything she's been in, but um, she is a gorgeous girl, though. So easy on the eyes. And uh, to finish off news, um, we got some news on uh, the J.J. Abrams, uh, Stephen King uh, Hulu show, Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. Scott, Scott Glenn has been casted as... Uh, Alan Pangborn. Who oh, was nice! The sheriff. Yeah, he was a char- character in Needful Things and uh, The Dark Half. Oh, that's good. That's great casting, man. So, uh, still no release date on this, um, but it is going to be a ten-episode series on Hulu. Check it out. And the whole thing is going to be is going to be like an anthology format, right? I believe so. Dude, I love those shows, man. I'm a sucker for those old anthology horror shows. Anytime I can Absolutely. buy them on DVD or Blu-ray, I always pick them up. <laughs> so you like? Did you like Monsters, Pedro? Did you ever watch that? Of course, I, I bought the DVD, the, the nine DVD set. Yeah, it came out. I love so, that. I have to the Dark Side, Monster, right. the Thirteen. The only one I haven't nice. got is because they haven't released is the Nightmare on Elm Street series because that they've never released. Oh, Freddy's Night, Freddy's Nightmares or yeah, whatever. Right, and the cool thing about that, oh. is that remember the pilot episode of that of that series is the prequel to through Nightmare on Elm Street one. It tells you how he became Freddy, and they actually Robert England actually plays Freddy. So oh, I've never man. seen that before. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. where do you, where where can you find it though? That's the problem, right? 
Well, if you go to the horror conventions, a lot of them sell the bootleg DVDs for like 30 bucks, you know, and I've been okay. thinking about picking them up. I, I should next time, but uh, that's the only place that I know you could find them. They have some on YouTube, but they don't have the entire series. So, um, yeah, I don't know why it's never gotten a proper release. I don't know if there's rights issues involved or what, but, uh, but yeah. The, now, don't get me wrong. I would say it's like any of these mythology, right? It's like 80% of them suck, but then you got like that 20% that's just incredibly awesome that it's worth the 80% that suck to actually go through the entire run of these shows. So uh, mm-hmm. same, same thing with uh, Freddy's Nightmares. Like, most of them suck, especially as <laughs> especially as the later years when, when, you know, these networks started reducing the budget of these shows. And then you have right. like, the old, you know, uh, everything takes place in one room, you know, that, that these authorities seem to kind of trap themselves into in the later years. But uh, but those first the, those first few episodes are pretty good. Yeah, I... Um... Don't they show him on uh, Robert Rodriguez's uh, channel, El Rey? I don't. I've never seen him there, hmm. but you might be right. I think they might. Don't I mean? Don't nobody quote me on that, but I think maybe late night they they show him. Yeah. Not not positive though. Yeah. So we haven't had a good anthology since probably I think Fear itself was the last one that was like mainstream. You know. Mm, that was pretty good. I liked a lot of those. Yeah, they were they were okay. They were on network TV, and then of course they, <laughs> they were okay. <laughs> I thought they were pretty good, man. <laughs> I mean, for network TV, you know, there's a lot of things you, you're very restrictive on what you can do. But some of the stories were sure. that original. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I like all the anthology stuff. I'll I'll, I'll wade through the 80 percent bullshit to, to catch the good <laughs> ones, you know. Go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And I believe that is all the news we have. All right. Well, you uh, you boys ready to take a little trip down to the trailer park? Uh, Brian, what's our uh, first new trailer to talk about this week, man? We are going to talk about Temple, starring Logan Huffman, Brandon Sklernar, probably fucked that up, uh, Natalia Warner, and directed by Mark- Michael Barrett. Hmm. What, did you, what did you guys think about uh, Temple? I mean, this uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, I was just gonna say I. I think it looks kind of cool, man. I, I I don't really know what it's about, and it, it kind of didn't have my full attention while I was watching it, but uh, it got it pretty quick, especially towards the end of the preview. I'm I'm interested mm-hmm. in it. Yeah, didn't didn't do didn't do that much for me. What do you think, Pedro? Well, I mean, the trailer didn't really tell us much. I mean, they they no. some chick is in love with temples. I get that, and then. I guess her boyfriend has a book, and uh, you know she wants to go to that temple, and then uh, they have they have the quote the, the you know the stereotypical guy that knows everything, and he goes to the end of the book and it's like it's not the beginning, it's the end, and there's nothing, <laughs> and there's nothing that changes, right? Right. So so rather than you know the big warning sign, do not go. What do they do? Let's go to this temple where the creepy guy told us not to go. And, uh, and so they end up going to this temple that looks like the Evil Dead, you know, cabin set. And then that's it. That's where the trailer, then it gets kind of mysterious from there, and the, the trailer kind of right. goes right there. So that's pretty much what we got out of it. You know, if people All didn't right. do dumb things, we wouldn't have horror movies. <laughs> that's a shirt right there, man. That's a shirt. You know, Maybe we'll uh, have, have to sell, set up a table and sell those at Frightmare, Philip. <laughs> There you go. We're doing it. Million dollar uh, idea. Number four. We got this one. We got this one coming September 1st. So uh, pretty close. Um, next one we're going to move on to is Red Christmas, starring D. Wallace, Jeff Morrell, and David Collins, directed by Craig Anderson. Now you're of the show, D. Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> now this one I do like. This one seemed like the old school, just good time kind of film. 
you know, uh, oh, yeah. a little bit slasher. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm definitely looking forward to this one. I, I like the look of it. It was very Christmassy with all the lights. The different rooms were, were, were uh, lit differently. So it looked pretty interesting. Yeah, I like yeah. I like the way on the trailer they they started it out by making it look like a like a, a family Christmas comedy or something like that, and and then it kind of went south pretty quickly after that. I, I thought it looks really interesting. Yeah, all kinds of slasher fun. Now, when does that one come out? Uh, we got a release date uh, uh real soon, August twenty fifth. Oh, okay. oh man, they're they're not they're, we don't have to wait for Christmas, huh? To unwrap that present. No, she was pretty. she was telling us about that when she was on the show. She did the uh she did the, the interview with us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was in May. I di- I didn't think it would come out uh, this 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 early. I would have thought they would waited till the the holiday time. That's kind of weird. Maybe it's just limited release August twenty fifth or something. Um, I think I have seen a limited VOD. I think it's gonna be VOD. So yeah, okay. it's got to build well, up steam before it hits that Christmas season. Yeah, you guys think it'll be up there with It's a Wonderful Life and shit like that? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and on to our final trailer, Rememory, starring Peter Dinklage, Anton Yelchin, Julia Armand, and directed by Mark Polanski. Anton Yelchin? Yeah, your man, your man, Brian. Yeah. I think this was uh, might uh, might be wrong here. I think this is his last movie he he did. Oh, the last one we saw was his last one. He's like Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has a lot of or Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> now, Pedro, you said you had a, a a theory about this movie. Well, the thing is that I mean, I'm just going by the uh, the previously the previously established history of these kind of films. I'm gonna go mm-hmm. ahead and say that Peter Dinklage is the killer. Oh wow! Oh, and he doesn't realize it. That's bum, right. Bum. That's right. That's saying and, a lot. Man. And of course, uh, I'm good. Okay, I'm just playing along with the stereotypes of these kind of films. Uh, sure. The entire the entire film is going to be based on the fact that people around him are trying to convince him that uh, either he's the killer or that he needs help, right? And then of mm-hmm. course he's all you know. We don't get the reveal till the end, and then they're going to have that thing where they do that flashback, and then you start connecting the dots. Because that, that's the kind of vibe I got from this trailer, you know. Sure. So, so let's talk a little bit about the trailer. So, so edible style. Yeah. So, so um, he's actually trying to solve a case about this guy. I think his name was Cody something, you know. And and mm-hmm. they, they tell you in the trailer that this guy Cody something uh died, right? And he's trying to solve that case. And all you see him is asking, him, pretty much getting his uh, door shut in his face about ten times. You know, different people just kind of running away from him, from Peter Dinklage I'm talking about, or, or kind of, you know, confronting him aggressively. And that's pretty much the trailer. And then you're trying to find out what, what's really going on, you know. But it seems like a, like like it's more of a thriller, uh, you know, than, 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 than a horror film. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah, it looks pretty good, though. It looks interesting. I kind of love those little putting puzzle pieces together movies like that. It looks cool. Yeah. But that ending I talked about is just so cliche. So I hope I'm 100 percent wrong because <laughs> you hopefully hopefully you are man. a thousand times already. You know. <laughs> right. Yeah, but even if you're right, it's gonna be decent. Now my thing about Peter Dinklage. Now they have to establish the fact that when he goes knocking on somebody's door, it's a it's a it's a little person, all right. So 
Right. Somehow they got to do that thing where it's like, what the fuck? Because it's not every day that we're talking to to little persons. You know, it's, it's kind of weird. Right. So that in itself is going to throw, you know, it's going to be a mind fuck. Now, if it's going to be the big pink elephant in the room and they never acknowledge that, then I'm always going to be thinking that as the movie's going on. You know, it's like, ain't nobody freaking <laughs> out over this, but, you know. Um, I thought the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, I late. totally agree with you because I was like, okay, so maybe they're going to delve into maybe he's got like some, uh, you know, he had some like little person issues when he was a kid. Maybe somebody's making fun of him or something like Just that. Just get out of the way now. Just, they have to yeah. get out of the way within the first five minutes, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. and, I mean, they have to address it, right? You can't just like <laughs> yeah, pretend yeah. that he's okay. like everybody else because yeah. he's yeah, not. Maybe, you know? <laughs> maybe that's why. Maybe that's why Anton's losing it in the trailer. <laughs> maybe he's just <laughs> by him and he's losing it. <laughs> well, we'll find out here quickly. Um, August twenty fourth. We got a release date on that. Oh wow! Yeah, right <laughs> around the corner, man. For a while. We got a lot more movies to watch. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, that's our last trailer. All right, cool. Uh, we got any uh, feedback this week, Philip? And what are your favorite non-American horror films? Um, don't necessarily have to be subtitled, but you know, shoot us and tell us tell us what you what you think. What what, what should we cover? What do you guys think? Well, I think I think for you guys, the main three should be Australia because Australia has a lot of exploitation films to choose from. Obviously yep. Japan, because Japan had a whole goddamn scene in the in the late '90s with the whole J horror craze. Right. And then you have uh, North Korea, which uh, or, or South Korea, I should say, North, North Korea. I produce <laughs> That's a real horror show. <laughs> <laughs> so so, they, so they're they're also producing some some quality stuff. So those are the three countries that that I would choose if I was you know. I mean I mean you know you got the entire world because I mean even Spain has a lot of great films, but um, those are the three that I would go with. Cool. Nice. Yeah. I'm not mad at that at all. You're in good company, I think, with a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Jack Falvey said uh, you guys need to do a special on the Italian Gallos. <laughs> Obviously, we I don't think know the brother, 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 wait, 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 right there, brother. I'm a, it's Giallo, okay? That was, a, that was, a, that was okay. a, the nerd in me raging out on you right there, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, good, because I have no idea how the hell to pronounce it. Everything I go is Spanish. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, we all know Argento, but uh, there are dozens of quality filmmakers in that area, in that era. There's only one. There's Mario Bava and Dario Argento. Let's be real about it. But, uh, you know, that is a good topic. And I actually responded to that thread because I said um, uh, on the Tenebrae Blu-ray, there's a great documentary, and it's a real documentary. I'm talking about it. It goes like an hour and a half. Uh, that mm-hmm. is called the rise. It's called Yellow Fever: The Rise and Fall of, of the Giallo Film, and it, it's it's a great piece to watch if you want to learn more about that type of genre. So that that that, okay. that, is, that, that is a great subject. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, Samantha Leonard says Moesco Island. What is that? <laughs> is that where the ring was or something? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, was, okay. Was, was <laughs> there more? How, how obscure can we get? Was there more that had to do with that island or? Uh, we, we may have to research that. Uh, Samantha, why don't you tell us tell us more about that? Because that's all she did was just put my well, school. It, it was it was a it was a witty comment about the ring. There you go. Maybe, 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 maybe her phone died as she was finishing typing. Up. <laughs> uh, well, 
they got some movies about it, and we could definitely cover them if we wanted to. Uh, Patrick Lear says uh, definitely Japan. Um, yeah, I'll. Man, I got you know honorary fourth member of the show. I think that's uh, that's definitely one that we should venture into. I haven't watched a whole lot of those uh, old school like real J- Japanese horror movies, and mm-hmm. I'd do it. You know. All right, maybe we'll do that next then. Yeah, fucking why not? Uh, Reed Wilson says New Zealand. I don't know how many New Zealand films are out there, but I mean I've heard a lot of Australian ones, but I'll totally check. Oh, New Zealand has some has some great movies. Uh, the, of course, that what we do in the shadows. Um, mm-hmm. What was the one about the girl that was uh, under house arrest? You guys seen that one? The oh, whole time and the, um, the plot housebound? twisted about yeah, housebound plot yeah. twisted about three times yeah. in it. Yeah, that was pretty good, and it was kind of like a horror comedy thing. That was cool. Yeah, they're they're good at horror comedy. It seems like in in New Zealand for some reason. I'm down with that. It was it was very uh, uh, quirky, you know. I, I, it was different. I like mm-hmm. it. Yeah, that seems to be their vibe. It's just quirky horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh yeah, the other one about the the heavy metal band, right, Pedro? Wasn't that uh, a New Zealand movie? Um, oh, I can't think of the uh, name of it. Deathgasm. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I think we're onto something awesome. here. Uh, Jesse Bollinger says uh, my vote is movies from Japan you can do the ultraviolet types like Battle Royale or uh, Tokyo Gore Police we've done Battle Royale but I'll check out Tokyo Gore Police Um, obviously there's the ring and the other ghost type movies even some of the crazier movies like Hell Driver or Vampire Women versus Frankenstein Women (laughs) (laughs) alright at least I think that's the title of that one (laughs) oh boy close enough Santo could take them on. <laughs> right. There you go. Uh, Cynthia Talbot says Korean. Uh, Sean Pipes, whatever you do, don't ignore Korea. They got some classics like A Tale of Two Sisters, Red Eye, The Wailing, and countless others. Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. I'm going to fuck up this name. B-E-D-E. How do you say that? Bead. Bead? <laughs> Bead, Jermaine. Yeah. I would call him Bidet. Bidet. <laughs> that, that, that person that I'm not going to start with the pronoun says uh, Australia. <laughs> Done. There you go. Uh, Joseph Perry, New Zealand horror comedies. Oh, okay. There you go. All right. And uh, uh, that's 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 about it for listener feedback. We uh, we just were stuck on that question, so uh, we'll definitely check that out, man. I think Japanese is 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 definitely up there in the running in New Zealand also. Yeah, you got uh, bad taste, you know, uh, brain dead, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of options. Those two itself are a whole podcast right there. Yeah, no kidding. And you know what? I have I haven't seen either one of them. Well, maybe. Wait a minute. Really? Yeah, I haven't have oh, wow. not seen either one of them, man. I haven't either. So but I think I we're I think we got got a plan here, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, brain dead, known as dead alive here in the states. That film is just a great time. I mean. Um, the, I, I, every year I host a horror movie night here at my house, and, and right. I try to screen, you know, uh, crowd-friendly horror films, you know, and so that's one of the ones that always has a great time. It's a very crowd-friendly movie. People get into it. It's, it's wacky. It's funny. But it also has a lot of gore in it, and, and it has a cool story. So, um, yeah, that's when Peter Jackson was, like, you know, making some good shit. Right. Yeah, okay. way pre-Lord of the Rings, huh? Oh, way, yeah, way, way. <laughs> All right, I gotta check it out, man. I've heard a lot of good things about it. 
Okay. I, I wish Peter Jackson would go like kind of like Sam Raimi did once he he you know he did the Spider-Man films and then right. I think he did a what was it a Return to Oz or something like that you know and in between there he went he went back to his roots and did like a very small you know Drag Me to House a very small film kind of taking him back to his Evil Dead days. I wish Peter Jackson did something like that because I know you know as a filmmaker you kind of eventually kind of get bogged down with the with the monstrosity that is the studio system. And sometimes mm-hmm. you kind of want to go back to your roots and just have fun and make a fun film where, you know, you're just having a good time. And that's the kind of films that, you know, the, the, these filmmakers make when they're younger and they have no money because you have to be creative. So, uh, yeah, sure. hopefully Peter Jackson, when they gets out of his ass, and just says, you know what, I'm going to go back and make a film like Bad Taste or like Dead Alive, you know, and, and just have a good time. Maybe it'll happen, man. You got to check that one out. His bank account seems to, uh, it's way too big for him to ever go back to that, man, because, uh, <laughs> you know. But it's not like he needs the money. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, yeah, uh, thanks to everyone who reaches out to us. Uh, we love the feedback. And as always, you can reach us on our Facebook or Podbean page, or you can email us directly at thehorrorreturns at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what's up, and we'll put you on the show. So you're listening to The Horror Returns. This is Pacha Muller, Sickhead, from 31. Um, let's see. Hola, putos, como estas? Aquí estoy, mierda. Maricón, te voy a matar. All right, cool. So that means uh, now it is time for our uh, featured attractions. And as I said this week, we are going to celebrate the horror films of Mexico. So we talk about The Devil's Backbone, uh, The Night of 1,000 Cats, and of course, who can forget uh, Santo versus? <laughs> actually, it's not versus. It's uh, Santo en la venganza de las mujeres vampiro. So uh, <laughs> this was, the, I guess, the sequel to the first one. Uh, but hey, that's cool. I'm glad we watched it. I, I think I think I enjoyed that probably more than we would have the first one. So um, we'll start with the Devil's Backbone. Uh, I think a lot of people know this movie. It's it's a cult classic. I think it's Guillermo del Toro's favorite uh, of, of his own films. Uh, of course, he's also known for Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth, and he wrote it and directed it uh, along with David uh, Munoz and uh, Antonio Trasjuras. Yeah. The Labor of Love. Yeah, this was The Labor of Love for director Guillermo del Toro, and it was 16 years in development. Wow. Uh, the, the film came together when del Toro bumped into uh, Pedro Almodovar, at the 1994 Miami Film Festival, uh, where he had just shown Kronos. Uh, Almodovar told him that he had just seen his film and wanted to produce his next movie. So you got Spain and Mexico meeting right there. Uh, Guillermo said, of the characters in this film, all the good guys had the initial C, and I wanted to have Jacinto and Jaime share the same initial because Jaime is a bully that chooses to change, unlike his grown-up counterpart. So... Uh, lots of stuff in this movie to talk about. Uh, Pedro, you're our guest, and as always, uh, if you'd like to, man, we'd like we'd like you to get the ball rolling, man. Well, the reason I chose this film and and Night of a Thousand Cats is because I wanted to explain something that happened in Mexico, um, going into from the from the 70s all the way into uh, into into Guillermo del Cronos in '93. So was there a cat problem? Just <laughs> curious. So, so um. Uh, so, well, they do say that if you go to Tijuana and you eat the tacos, notice there's no cats around, and I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, what ended up happening was that um, in the 60s, 
and the 50s, the 40s, and so on, uh, the Mexican mm -hmm. government would help fund a lot of the films that were coming up. And we had and we had what was known as La Época de Oro, which means the golden age of Mexican cinema. And these films were, you know, you'll find a lot of them on the Criterion Collection and, you know, beautifully done films. And a lot of the Mexican stars would be in it. And it, it was a very glamorous era in Mexico as far as filming. So what happened in the, in the mid to late 70s was that the Mexican government stopped funding these films. And there was, a, the, um, it, there was an influx of, of uh, distinguished uh, Mexican uh, actors that came over to the United States. So, you, so, the, so Mexico was left with nothing. The, the real actors came to, to the United States to work, um, and they had no money to make real movies. So that, that was the era known as kind of like the exploitation era, where the producers got so desperate, they started just looking at their American counterpart and see what they could copy. And they, okay. had, they had no money. So, they, so a lot of these films were dirt cheap, and the, you know, the films itself... The plot lines were not really the best, the most coherent. So that's what gave us uh, a Night of a Thousand Cats. And but, but what happened from there was that a lot of the newer generation or younger generation, like myself, I was born in 1980, um, we came up in those kind of films. So we started uh, kind of like uh, adapting uh, some of these some of these actors, like like the Almada brothers, which I'm going to talk about right now, or Hugo Stiglitz, which became a huge kind of exploitation actor, which he's the lead actor in, House, in Night of a Thousand Cats. Um, that he, he, he became such a big exploitation actor that Quentin Tarantino named one of his characters uh, after him, after Hugo Stiglitz and, uh, and, and, and uh, what was it, Inglourious Bastards. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, so, so throughout, throughout the, 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 the late 70s into the 80s, um, Mexican film was, for lack of a better term, very B-movie, even C-movie-ish level. And that was the best they could do because, again, they had no money and the actors would come up north of the border to make the real money, the good actors. So, um, so within that, you know, uh, kids from my generation, that's what they were exposed to. So to us, those are our heroes growing up. You know what I'm saying? Even though they're, they're laughed out of the room in the mainstream, we, we kind of gravitate <laughs> toward those guys because right. you know, that, that's all we got to see, you know? And, and what ended up happening was that Guillermo del Toro was one of a couple filmmakers who actually took the time, raised the money, and did and did Chronos, which which completely uh, rejuvenized the Mexican cinema, and so um, I didn't want to choose Chronos because I mean everybody has that, that, that's that's another uh, legendary film. So I went with Devil's Backbone because I thought it was a better topic of conversation, and that's really the one that brought Mexico back to the mainstream. And since around 2001, they've been able to do like real movies again, you know. So so I thought you know uh, Night of a Thousand Cats and the Devil's Backbone was like a nice little bookend. To kind of nice. you know talk about that genre of, of Mexican cinema that's kind of seen like the redheaded stepchild of just all of cinema. Like if you go on the internet, mm -hmm. you don't find anything. It's, it's almost like Mexican cinema disappeared from never happened. <laughs> never, right. 19, from 1975 <clears throat> to 1993, there's like a blank spot right there. Like it never existed. But that's but that's BS because there's some there's some goddamn good films during that time, and they, there was a lot of knockoffs. But at the same time. Um, there was some good films, you know, and, and again, there was a lot of actors that I'll get to a little later on that kind of became legends in Mexico working that genre in, in, the, in the 80s. So, um, so yeah, so now we have The Devil's Backbone. Like you said, that was uh, Guillermo del Toro has said that that's his labor of love. That's his most personal film. And um, I don't really know why, but, you know, that's, that's how he writes. And one of the things about Mexican cinema is that 
like like anything, like when you guys do the the, the Japan phase of the of this podcast or the Australian, we not only have to take the films we're watching into consideration, we got to take the culture into consideration. Um, mm-hmm. And so, a lot of these films are 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 based on the culture that they come from, you know. So so um in 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 Mexico and and to a certain degree in Spain, kids are like. They're worshipped there. You you do not mess with a child. You they, in Mexico they have something called Dia de los Niños, which means Kids Day. It's, I think it's in April, and it's like a, like a national holiday. And that's the day that we celebrate children. We just you know we go out and we 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 treat them to stuff. We we take them to, to you know to the fair, to the theater, whatever. It's it's all about the kid. That's cool. So, sounds like my house every day of the week. Right. <laughs> so, so um, because the thing about Mexico is that it's a very collectivist culture. It has a hierarchy, right? It has it has the head of household, which is the dad, and then you work your way down, and everybody in the family has a purpose. You know, it's not it's not an individualistic culture like the, like the one in the United States where everybody's kind of main goal is to be independent. So, mm-hmm. um, so, so yeah. So, so taking all that into consideration. Um, you're gonna see a lot of films that that dig deep into that the, the the pain of a kid, you know, or 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 kids being the heroes of the movie, you know. And what I like about Mexican cinema is that, you know, the one of the things I like about American cinema and like American horror films is that when you have like a ten year old or like a like a kid, like they just know it all and it gets annoying, right? Because those kids like sure kids in American movies are annoying because they're the know it all. So they're the ones that are <laughs> they're the ones yeah. that are telling those don't do that and it's like come on, you know. And so, uh, in Mexico, you you, you 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 see the kid evolve to that stage. You, you know, you see the kid kind of be a kid, and the situation kind of makes them wise. You know, and that's what happened here. I mean, we see like Jaime starts off kind of like a bully a little bit, then then he kind of evolves to being kind of the the quasi hero. You know, um, and yeah. so and so uh, so yeah, so so there's that, and then you have the big bully. Uh, which is Jacinto, uh, and, and of course the the Jacinto thing is there, there's brother there's little brother parallels there because um, again in Mexico it's all about the family unit and what what do a lot of families have they have like you know the older brother always punking out the younger brother and that gets very frustrating so um, actually that's like that's like a universal thing when you think about it but um, yeah so so they have all they have that going in this film as well. And, and you know the film itself, it's it's, it's a coming of age movie, you know, and it reminded me, it reminds me a lot of like a, like a, like Stand by Me, you know, those kind of films from yeah. the 80s, from the eighties that, that 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 put like a like a young kid in a situation where he has to grow from that, and that scenario is gonna make him a better person going forward. So that's so. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, I liked it. I mean, there's there's a lot of symbolism in the movie, and I mean, obviously, uh, I don't think it's a, a coincidence that it it took place like during the tail end of a war. Like there was a lot of strife going on outside, and then you know you think that it's this peaceful place that that this kid can escape to, and they're they're taking him there for safety. But there's a lot of there's a lot of shit going on in there <laughs> for right. sure. Well, well, the thing is, the thing is, one of the things that makes this movie so cool is that it has so many layers going on because again. You know, the, the, the politics involved, like you're saying, are, are very deep, you know. Um, uh, and I also like how the the breakdown of the infrastructure, sure, it's, it's from the war that's going on, uh, but but the actual breakdown, is it comes from within. It comes from one of their own, you know, which is Jacinto, who, who, who just greedy sure. and wants the gold. And I, the message that I get out of it is that sometimes the breakdown of a family comes within the family. You know, you always have the black sheep. 
who comes in and just wants to kind of destroy everything, you know? And I think it's something mm-hmm. we could all relate to, you know, at one point or another in our lives, is that it doesn't matter where you feel at home, sometimes the actual home could, could come under a threat, you know? And, and so that's what happens here. And then also you're talking, right. about, you're talking about hidden demons because we don't really know that Jacinto killed the kid until, like, in the, like you know, late in the second act, early in the third act. That, that's like a big revelation in the movie. I think the kid's name is San, Santi, I think his name is. Um, yeah, it yeah. was. I, I didn't suspect that at all in the beginning. No, I didn't either. Well, the, well, the, turn, the turn is very... Uh, it, yeah, obviously, you know, when Asinto shows up, you can't really read him one way or the other, and it's just like getting the right. or The layers of his, of his true motivations don't come in until like the middle of the movie, and then he just goes overboard, you know? And then, then, yeah, and then they you can say the overboard. <laughs> and then they show the flashback to you know what happened. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of development for sure. I mean, you know, no nobody was the same character at the end of the movie that they were at the beginning. Right, and they always say that that's a sign of good writing. I really like the symbolism of the uh, of the bomb that was the, kind of like it was a t- he put his ear up to it and said you can hear it still ticking. It was almost like I equated that tick as a ticking time bomb, you know, kind of compared with uh, with a lot of the characters that a lot of stuff was building up and also what was going on outside as well. I just thought that was kind of a nice little centerpiece there visually. And yeah, also, that uh, yeah, go ahead. makes sense now that I'm, that makes a lot of sense now that I'm thinking. Of it. I, there's this guy is definitely a, a, a writer at heart. I mean, uh, there's so much symbolism in this in this movie. It was kind of incredible. And another thing too is that you know the whole when 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 the doctor Casares dies, you know who's the, who's the orphan doctor. It was a, pretty much the uh, kind of like the head of household. You know, that's almost like saying, okay, now you have to grow up. You know, he's talking. I'm talking about the kids because I'm no mm-hmm. longer here to protect you. You know. And, and I do love how he stands with them to the bitter end. He doesn't just, uh, you know, he, he pretty much just dies because his heart, you know, he, he, he tries to kind of like be with them, even though he knows he's dying, you know. And then eventually he just dies because, you know, he was injured with the, uh, when the bomb, or when, not the bomb, the, uh, when he set off the, uh, the explosion, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought, I thought the, uh, the the scene where, where the doctor is, uh, is, is saying goodbye to a, uh, it was his wife, right? Uh, when she when she dies, I thought mm-hmm, was, yeah. I thought that was very heartwarming too. That was a very powerful scene, you know. And, and because it, it lingers, like like it's an actual scene. It's not something where it's like, oh, she's dead, and you know, you it, it, there's like dialogue, and you know, they're saying they're, you know, and and, and so it's very poetic. And, and I thought that was another great scene in the film. Brian, what did you think, man? Oh, this was probably out of the movies we're going to talk about my favorite one. And this is this is why I love doing this show, because I've never seen this movie before. And I don't either. This was an excuse to watch it. And it was a great movie. And I really enjoyed the development of all the characters. And uh, Jacinto, is that how you say his name? Yeah, Jacinto. Yeah, that was the most satisfying death because that guy was the biggest dick throughout the movie i mean he is after this gold he he, this guy ends up killing orphans right and i'm like you're a piece of shit and i it was it was very satisfying i i've i haven't seen a movie in a while where i was very satisfied when somebody finally got what they deserved especially when he had um came across his uh 
what, what was she his fiance or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah and, they were just goofing around, weren't they? Or were, oh, were they actually the, the, were, were the, they the young girl? Were they just? I, think, I thought he well, was just screw, screwing every female that lived inside the orphanage. Well, they had that whole uh, conversation about they were going to go buy a farm together. So I, I assume that they were more than just fooling around. But um, that whole scene where um, they come across she, her on the she road. She might have had high, more high and mighty ideas than he did. Yeah, the whole scene where they came across her on the road and he's just basically like apologize and get in the truck. And she's just like, no, I'm not scared of you. And then he stabs her. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this guy is cold and... Right. Everything he gets, he deserves. And um, one thing I also want to, yeah, one thing I want to say, I love the effect on uh, Santi, how the um, yeah he had the blood just flowing out of his head, almost like he was you know still underwater. And yeah. I, I really, I really like that. That was gonna be my comment. Let's talk about the fucking ghost, man. That was awesome. Yeah, they nailed that. Yeah, and this was two thousand and one, so this was like sixteen years ago. Yeah, that was creepy as shit. That was some Japanese horror stuff there. <laughs> One of the things about Jacinto, and again, the best villains, you know, you were talking about Game of Thrones earlier. I've always said this about, like, Cersei. Like, like I know that, like, like her being alive because of what she's gone through, it's worse than, than her being dead, right? Because you could tell, you know, she's she lost all her kids, and, you know, she's going through a lot of emotional grief, and she's projecting that onto, in, into the world, and that's why she's as evil as she is. Same thing with Jacinto because you, you you start to understand that he's also you know he, he he was he was also an orphan and he also has gone through a lot of pain and there's that great scene where he discovers the, the picture with with his dad and, and and for for a moment there he becomes human again right and then he you know he he tells his uh his crew of bandits which we're gonna get to in a minute because they're kind of wacky themselves uh, you, <laughs> know, you know he, he, he the way they kind of leave him high and dry with no warning was pretty funny. Uh, so yeah, he uh, he finds those pictures, and again, as a, as a storyteller, you kind of want to humanize the villain right towards the end because you know when he dies, there, there's you have conflict, you know. And I know like Breaking Bad did it with Gus as well, which was another great revelation. So so uh, you know the, the the whole thing about uh, a villain kind of being a shades of gray rather than all black, you know. It's, I like when they go that route because you know you see mm-hmm. the, you see Jacinto's pain. Uh, as he remembers his dad in that picture, and then of course at the end when 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 he dies, they show that picture again, kind of floating around, you know, the, the water or whatever. So um, so yeah, so that so he also has some character development himself. And, yeah, I, I have a quick ahead. question. Uh, the the line about you um, you're you're a prince with no kingdom was it was there more to that or? Because uh, it was also written on one of the photos. Hmm. If I, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but it was something yeah, on no, the lines I, of that. I remember, I remember it saying that, but uh, I, I was, I was kind of thinking the same thing. I mean, I think there's something to it. Uh, I'm sure there was. If he lingered on that, like you said, then there's, there's something. Yeah. But again, Twice. These, these films, like any great film, they have to be watched more than once, and you get more yeah. sure. You know, you know, you get more of them as you watch them. So that, that was good. Okay. Okay. Although yeah, that guy was one. about as evil as they fucking come, man. As much as you mm-hmm. can try to humanize him, he like, that was a <laughs> now, now here's douche the thing. nozzle. <laughs> here's the thing about, again, we're talking about differences in cultures. Like, a film like that, because here, here in, in the United States, like, everything's so taboo, right? Like, like children dying on, on screen, like, we just don't do that. Um, we're, we're at, <laughs> well, well, we did. We did. <laughs> well, I never know, mind. Well, some, well, oh yeah. <laughs> within this genre, it's more acceptable than, than mainstream stuff. But, sure. Yeah. But I just can't see a mainstream film like if they redid this in the United States. 
like you'll have like 30 year olds playing the kids you know because you can't have kids oh yeah right dying and uh, dying uh, as a result of explosions and getting shot up you just can't have that it's just unacceptable here that's uh, true there was a couple scenes where i was like wow i can't i can't believe they went there yeah but in but in in mexico and of course like in japan like you know with battle royale um mm-hmm. you know those are those are kids killing each other they're not adults playing kids you know but again, it's the differences in culture, and that's one of the important things about covering different countries is you got to take that into consideration. And of course, a lot of the symbolism—if um, you're not from that country or you don't have, you know—sometimes it's very hard to understand, you know. And 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 I have I have a lot of, of that going on when I watch a lot of these Asian films because a lot of it I don't understand, um, you know, like, like like a film like Old Boy. Like I'm still I've watched it like a hundred times, and I'm still like I still don't quite know what's going on. I I kind of get it, but. But it's a cultural thing, you know, in their culture, they totally understand what's going on. Um, and so same thing with these kind of films, you know, there's there's all kind like the whole uh, like in this film, uh, like, like the whole uh, religious symbolism, too. You know, the, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, Mexico is huge with religion and, and with Catholic religion. And, you know, oh, yeah, for so, sure. So a lot of a lot of their films have a lot to do with that as well. You know, so um, so we also got to take into consideration when we watch films from from cultures that we're not familiar with, that they're 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 it's for it's for the people that are within that culture that these films are made. For. All right. That was a great. This is a great film. I mean, it's it's a, it's 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 a classic. I mean, it goes without saying. Sixteen years in the making, you know. I mean, he put a lot of thought into it. I'm with you, man. It's this. This is one that bears that bears watching again. I mean, I enjoyed it, but there's so much that I didn't totally get, or that I'm like, I kind of saw part of what they were trying to get across. But I think, I think with every watching with it, uh, one like this, you'll pick up more and more every time. Definitely. Well, and he goes into so much detail with all the symbolism, like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean. To pick all that up, yeah, you'd have to watch it ten times. Yeah, it's almost as but, deep as a as a Santo movie, you know. It's, no, I don't yeah, know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's as deep as like a great American novel, you know. Right. Oh, absolutely. Like it's, yeah. It's a it's absolutely. a work. It's kind of a work of art. It was it was really good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think that's the last time we're gonna talk on this show about any kind of symbolism. Everything uh, the other two films is like what you see. Oh what yeah. You, get, you know. All right. <laughs> a, a cat flying 20 feet in the air. It's just a cat flying 20 feet in the air. Because they just want it's to from explore. a fun era, though. <laughs> they just want to exploit that, you know? All right. You guys uh, you guys ready for scores? Or you, anybody else have, have anything else to say about this one? Well, I think I, we're I, ready. I, I, I think, oh, I think, no, I think, I'm going to say real fast. I think a, a great companion piece to this one, and, and another one mm-hmm. of uh, Del Toro's personal films is Pan's Labyrinth. You know, I think... Yeah, great movie. Great movie. Will hit you in the heart just as much as this one will, and it's the same thing. You know, there's a lot of dualism going on and a lot of uh, symbolism, and and so it's another film that you could watch a thousand times and get something different every time you watch it. So, you know, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Del Toro anymore because I, I didn't like Crimson's Peak at all. Uh, oh, I liked it, man. I, I really liked it. Uh, did you? It was. Yeah. I, was I know I'm in the minority, uh, but I like this. It. This is it. probably totally off subject, but why did they cast? Charlie Hunnam to play an American in a movie set in England. In England? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> well, the question should be, why do they cast him in anything? You know, because I, mean, <laughs> oh. I mean, he's not—he's not a very good actor, and he's—he's he's stamped with, with with Jax. You know, he's always going to be Jax. Sure. He'll never not be Jax. So whenever we're watching him, we're watching Jax try to play another actor, another performance. Yeah. And it's just weird, you know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
But, All right. Uh, yeah, but anyway, so so yeah, Pacific Rim I didn't really care for. Hellboy Two was pretty good, and, and you know the list was right. good. But anyways, keep on going. Okay, Brian, what did you uh, what, what 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 did you think about the other Del Toro movies? Like, what's your what's your favorite? Is this your favorite now of, of um, everything you've seen? You know what? I'm probably gonna have to reevaluate it now because this is this is up there. This is de- I don't own it, but this is definitely one I'm I'm gonna add to my collection. So, um, Remember, I think he also, I'm, he also did Mimic too. If you're a fan of Mimic, yeah, uh, not, not not a big fan of that one. Yeah, um, I also like. Uh, I believe, in my opinion, he uh, he did the best Blade movie. Oh yeah, uh, Blade Two. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I like the Hellboy movies. Uh, um, Crimson Peak, I was not a fan of, and um, I don't know if he directed it. What was the one? Uh, don't Don't be afraid of the dark. Or yeah, yeah, he didn't direct it. He produced it. But I don't okay, know yeah. And he also but, uh, and he also produced Mama too, which I didn't like either. Hmm. You didn't like that one? I liked Mama. Yeah, I did too. I mean, he's, but, uh, he, he, what happened with him is that he fell in love with that CGI monster, and he just yes. keeps, yeah. like, he keeps on plugging it into every one of the films that he produces or directs or whatever. And so it's like that's kind of getting annoying because those CGI monsters, first of all, they all look the same, and second of all, they're not very well done. So you know that, that's mm-hmm. one of his, that's one of the critiques that I have for his latest you know films. But I will say this: I saw the trailer for The Shape of Water, which is coming out later this year. That one looks awesome. Yeah. That one mm-hmm. looks really right. good, you know. It's mm-hmm. like back to old Del Toro. Well, maybe it does. Like you, like you were talking about earlier, you know, getting getting back to basics again. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, that's about a girl that, uh, from the trailer I gathered, it's about a uh, this weird creature from the Black Lagoon-like monster that's somehow in a basement or in a, like a lab or something. And this girl's kind of down down there, kind of like trying to uh, take care of them, and then they kind of fall in mm-hmm. love and shenanigans ensue from there it looks pretty good i really like the trailer yeah it does it does even shenanigans um all right so uh for devil's backbone on a scale of a scale of one to ten pedro what do you what do you give it man i give it a nine man that's a great film wow pretty pretty high <laughs> yeah, but but not only because of the, uh, that's a great film remember the whole point of this film is that it it not only it not only it's not only a great film in itself it also gave the the entire uh, mexican cinema a kick in the ass too because from mm-hmm. there, you know, producers were getting financing because people saw there was talent in Mexican filmmakers. So all of a sudden, we had an influx of uh, of money coming into the country, and and filmmakers were were able to reestablish the genre. You know, and that, that's when we got like Amores Perros, which is another classic film. You know, sure. And, and you know, so we we had we, now we had started seeing like real movies again that got like critically acclaimed. And you know, you you could you could argue, but I would dare say that. You know, films like The Devil's Backbone and Guillermo del Toro had a lot to do with it. So, so that's why this is a nine on ten. The only reason I don't give it a ten because the ten, of course, is a perfect movie, and it's not, it's not, it's not to the fault of The Devil's Backbone. It's just a perfect movie, mm-hmm. is a perfect movie. You know, and that's very. I, I like to be very picky with that because that's very rare. That's a movie that has to like, oh my god, you know. So, so you know, a nine is as good as it's gonna get, and so um, that's what I give The Devil's Backbone. Yeah, nine nine is excellent, man. Nine is excellent. Yeah. I'll. I'll give it. I'm going to give it a 7.5. Um, I thought there were a couple of slow spots in it. It could have something to do with the fact that they were just throwing so much at me, and I'd never seen it before. And I, I think on a second viewing, I will raise that. And I'm actually eager to check this one out again, and I'm going to do so pretty pretty soon. But for now, I'll give it uh, give it a good solid 7.5. All right. Uh, yeah, I I'm going to say eight and a half. 
Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I, I definitely want to watch it again, mostly because the first time I watched it, it was kind of late at night, and I was uh, nodding off a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, you know it, it's, it's all subtitled, so you got to be focused to be watching that, and it was too late to be doing that shit. So uh, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm definitely excited to check it out again. It was, uh, it was, it was creepy and, and just really brilliantly done. He almost seems like an M. Night Shyamalan of yeah. uh, of Mexico, right? This is this is his sixth sense movie. Hmm. Um, interesting. Shamalama ding dong. There you go. I, I do that every time. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm also gonna go with an eight and a half. Um, I really enjoyed this. I, I enjoyed the story, the effects of uh, Santi, and um, I I thought everybody gave great performances. Um, I didn't mention um, the actress that played Carmen. I really thought she was really good in it. Uh, the scene I was going to bring up was um, when you find out that she's sleeping with, um, oh with yeah, the, with the one guy and um, the douchebag. Yeah. yeah, and and she's just you know she can't, you know she's giving in to you know her attraction for him, but at the same time she's ashamed. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I, yeah. I really got, I really got that out of her. And, and, and again, um, well, what is that macho culture? What does it do? It likes to. Make women feel a little bit, you know, a little bit of shame of being promiscuous like that. So again, it comes mm-hmm. back yeah. to the same cultural thing. Good point. Yeah. Great movie. Eight, eight and a half. Cool. All right. Sounds like everybody recommend, highly recommends uh, Devil's Backbone for anyone who, out there who hasn't seen it yet. Definitely. Uh, so let's move on. We'll get, get a little bit more highbrow now, guys. We're going to move on to <laughs> Night Night of 1,000 Cats. I think it's also known as Blood Feast. So <laughs> if you can't find it under that title, try Blood Feast. Uh, director uh, Rene Cardona Jr., also known for Guyana Cult of the Damned. And uh, anybody seen Zindi the Swamp Boy? No, I've never seen that one. Okay. <laughs> well, it's out there. Maybe we can find it and review it next time. No, no. Uh, there's a couple of films that I have seen. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go through the list right away. So, so I seen a film called Tintorera, which is about a killer shark. It came out. Shark. In, okay. Yeah. 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 It came I, out I read about that one. Seven. You know. Sure. Wink. wink. You know what mm-hmm. came out, What came out? You know, a couple years prior to that. Um. So, again, Tintorera is about Hugo Stiglitz. He's also in this one, and he's also a Playboy millionaire figure. Uh. And but this was about sharks. So, uh, him and another and another cultural icon from this era called Andres Garcia. Um, they just go around getting women and then, you know, screwing them on a boat. And then that, towards, the, towards the end of the film, they kind of have to deal with these sharks. And then one of them gets beaten by it becomes a whole thing. The only thing about this film... <laughs> <laughs> and then it turns into a tornator. Uh, no, the, the, only reason, <laughs> okay, no the, only, the only reason why I stopped myself was because like, I don't want to spoil it. Like, anybody's actually going to go and fucking track down Tintorera, right? But I didn't want to spoil it, so I caught myself. But, uh, but one of the things that, that, that has been criticized about this film is that they actually, the, the violence on the sharks is real, you know? Um, okay. Like, oh. much, much, much I've heard about this. Yes, I heard about this. Much like the cats here, that's very, that's a real abuse with the cats as well. They don't get mm-hmm. real abuse except for that one scene where he <laughs> launches one cat over... You know, I, <laughs> I don't know. I think they. Uh, listen, I he, think the I've owned be... cats that I did that to before. They, <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they do off sometimes. Up. He does try to drown one. Oh, that's in right. He scene. does. But there's, oh, yeah. but there's cuts there. I noticed there was cuts. See, when, yeah. when, he, when he launches the cat, 
the, the camera follows the cat. There's no special... Sure. You he know, can't fake that in, but he in, in uh, his, 72. But he does land on his feet, so there is truth to the cats always landing on their feet. Um, oh, no. You can tell when the cats are fake. You can definitely tell in this movie when the cats are fake. He also did, he, he also did a film called Survive, which is uh, about that, that soccer team that got lost in the Andes Mountains, and they had a resort to cannibalism. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Course, the Americans did a movie called Alive, which uh, sure. with, I think, Ethan Hawke's in it. Um, yeah. And I don't like that movie for the simple fact that their facial hair never grows in in, in a film alive. They're, they, they're always trimmed. Their hair stays trimmed, and, and they're nice and shaved. And I'm like, you're stranded for, like, months. So, but anyway, right. that's besides the point. Oh, boy. But in Survive, it's more of an exploitation <laughs> film where it's, like, it's all about the cannibalism, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas in reality, that was only, like, the last couple of days where they had to resort to that. So Survive just exploits the fact that this, this team... Of survivors in the Andes Mountains had a resort to cannibalism, so it's, it's pretty much it. Then there's one film that's really, really good that I want to recommend that's actually scary. It's called The Bermuda Triangle. It came out in 1978. Now, this mm-hmm. film's awesome. It also stars Hugo Stiglitz, uh, Andres Garcia, and it has a great cast. And this film, it's about a, a, a family that go on a cruise ship. So it's, 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 it's a cast of characters. There's about 10 of them on this boat. And they go into the Bermuda Triangle. And this little girl finds a doll. She's just a doll floating what? in the ocean. Yeah, she finds a doll floating in the ocean, and the, she wants you know the captain to pick it up, and the captain brings it in, brings it up board. And once that doll comes on board, like shit starts going down. But the but the, the scares are really good. I think what helps it too is that mm-hmm. the film is very low budget, and as we know from you know from watching expectation films of the eighties, like when sure. a, when a film is low budget, it it enhances. The, the creepiness factor because of the fact they didn't really have enough money to like you know look real pretty right overly produced so that's mm-hmm. a really good film it's a really scary movie and and, and just you know it's, it, I do recommend the Bermuda Triangle so and, Bermuda Triangle okay yeah um, Some Annabelle shit that's right and so I hopefully it's on YouTube well, maybe it is on YouTube a lot of these films are on YouTube um, and then of course in 1972 like you said he did uh, Night of a Thousand Cats aka Blood Feast and uh, that's the one we're gonna talk about right now. Well, you want to go first? Oh, see, um, yeah. So, so this film again, I wanted to do the little sandwich between when films start getting money and and, and critical acclaim, and then the right. shit like like this film, all right? Um, so this is one of the this is one of the oh come movies. on. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. But this this is this is one of the first films where you know it was just like we got a couple grand here. What could we do with it? Let's just fucking have a serial killer <laughs> go around sleeping with women. And then just feeding them to his cats. You know, that's essentially what. Well, I don't know. We got all these cats in the backyard. We got to do something with them. Let's yeah. make a movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> they help the population of cats, you know. Um, so the movie, the movie is pretty much. There's nothing to say. It's about this, this guy, Uglu Stiglitz. He's kind of a playboy millionaire. He 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 runs around in this wacky looking helicopter that's straight out of the seventies, <laughs> you know, with the with the, with the glass casing all around it and stuff, and the, and the mm-hmm. you, you only see this kind of helicopters in one era, the seventies. That's it. Yeah. They, they weren't there in the sixties, and they weren't there in the eighties. They were just in the seventies. Yeah. Fucking and, Bruce Lee movie. <laughs> and the thing is, um, I guess because because the rotors were getting too loud, like every time he he's he's cruising in his chopper, they throw this weird fucking like tempo, you know, stock music and stuff you know (laughs) i like that music yeah i do too it's wacky (laughs) to kind of to kind of uh overdub the the sound of the helicopter and pretty much what he does is he'll you know he'll go around he'll pick up a girl sometimes they're married 
he'll 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 screw them and then he'll feed them to his cats. Uh, you know, wash rinse. <laughs> or not, you know, that's how pretty much that's all he does. Um, right. And so they do try to tell a weird backstory that's never kind of. He has one nightmare. That, that his only character development in this entire movie is one mm-hmm. nightmare that he had when he was a kid. Some cat attacked him, and then he wakes up in a cold sweat, and that's all we get from him. Like we don't know. <laughs> that's then, the backstory. And then he and then he's got like this butler or like you know guy that like evil. Oh, uh, Drogo. Yeah, Drogo. <laughs> uh, well, like we don't know why he's with him, uh, but he just he's like that's like his manservant. Right. And so, and so he kind of helps him. And then, the, and then the catchphrase of this film, you hear it about ten times, is, the cats are hungry. Once you hear the line, the cats are hungry, you know the bitch is going to die. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's now, going down. That, oh, it's that, on now. That's, that's his little code word. He he looks at, at, at Grogo or whatever, he tells them, the cats are hungry. And bam, you know? Because remember, some girls he does like more than others. So he's in conflict sure. a couple of times. He's like, wait a minute, this one, it might work out. I might want to keep this one. But then when he looks at Grogo and tells him the cats are hungry, that's the code word. She, you know, she didn't pass the grade after all. So, uh, you know, she's going to the cats. So, and then he has this weird fixation where he likes to keep the the, the heads of the women in a jar, like the governor and the Walking Dead and shit. So, uh, sure. So that's another thing that you know, maybe uh, uh, Robert Kirkman or whatever that guy's name is uh, got from this. Maybe he saw this film. And that was his idea. But, no, I'm uh, sure he did. <laughs> so. Uh, it gets tedious after a while because it's like it's like you're just watching a vignette of the same shit but with different women. Um, except there's one woman that he actually does like that Grogo decides to kill on his own. And he kind of lets her go. And then I think he tells Grogo, I think this is the one or something. He tells not to touch her. I forget. And then Grogo's like, well, fuck that. And then he goes and kills her with some cheers. And then he brings her, <laughs> he brings her back to his master like, 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 you know, like a dumb animal. And I think that pisses off Hugo Stiglitz because that's why he kills Grogo. That, that's what I'm trying right, to Right, that was the end of him. Yeah. <laughs> so then he plays. This is where it gets wacky. So he decides to play chess with Grogo. That's right? where it gets wacky. <laughs> <laughs> it hadn't been up to that point. And he he beats Grogo, or does Grogo beat him? I he forget. beats him. He finally. Oh, beats he beats the shit out of Grogo. You think that dude can play chess? <laughs> yeah. And they, and I gotta know what a chessboard looks like. <laughs> he beats Grogo, and then Grogo looks at the cats, and then he takes a fucking swan dive right into the cat pit, and that's the end, we see, that's the end of Grogo. Um, and then what ends up happening? out, man. <laughs> what ends up happening is that towards the end, uh, he meets another woman, uh, and he they're in the pool together, and they, oh, there's another little you know character development. He starts getting philosophical, and he's like, life is about, we were born to die. And then he has, like, remember he has this big old, like, wine glass for some reason, like, throughout the movie? Right. Like, oh, like, yeah, sure. I was about that. But then she pours, like, an inch of it in there, and then that's it. <laughs> in a, into a fishbowl. Yeah. Wine glass the size of your head, and you've got just, this, like, inch two of ounces. Wine. But um, so he, he he starts telling her in the pool like how like life is about being born to die and this that or the other thing, and then uh he decides fuck it the cats are hungry except this time because Grogo's dead he kind of struggles right. with her, and the cats find their way out of their pit and they're hungry so he trips and they and they attack him and they kill him and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> kind of a Ram- kind of a Ramsey Bolton moment, huh? 
Yeah, oh, I'm saying that. That's the <laughs> See, this movie's influenced everything that's out right now, guys. That's right. It it's has. a masterpiece. <laughs> no, I, uh, I really, I really liked it. I, I really had a, I, I had a really fun time with this movie because I didn't know what to expect and uh, just some of the fucking outrageous shit that they put in here. <laughs> and I mean, it really, like the scenes when they were when they were inside of the the right. castle that he was in. I guess he inherited or or something like that. It really it reminded me of a Universal Monsters movie, and I yeah. really got a got yeah. a cool vibe from that. Yeah, I really enjoyed the the scenes in the castle. I liked the way that um, every everything kind of looked like old school horror movie, man. And uh, yeah, old uh, uh, Gorgo or whatever his name yeah, was, that dude enough. was just like he stole the show, man. Every scene he was in, he was he was really funny, like. Uh, Almost like Frankenstein's monster or something, like just shambling people. around, just or or kind of like the guy that uh, 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 flowers for Algeron or whatever. I can't remember the one where the they they had to kill the the guy had to kill his own brother because he he killed a little girl or something. Uh, it's it's a classic work. I can't think of it right now, right, but okay, you're talking about of mice and men. What are you talking about? There yeah, you go, a, of mice and men. Thank that, you, thank you. That's the one. All right, that's the one. So I got that feeling from him. He kind of reminded me of that brother. But yeah, I mean, the, the look, man, the chicks were really hot. You had yeah, the right. dancing girl by the pool. You had you had the married the married lady that was that was really hot looking. Oh, she um, was that first one. You gotta you gotta admit you gotta admit this 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 dude, man. He could he could get he could get the ladies, and he wasn't afraid to get turned down either. If he bro- rode that helicopter and somebody just kind of. You know, shook their head like, "Nah, not this time. I'm not coming with you." He just shrugged and off to the next to the next woman, man. That's that. That's that machismo to the to the eleventh degree, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, Indisposable. There's a lot of them. We don't have to worry about one. That's that's what Mexico's telling us right there. I'm telling you right now. I had I had a I had a blast watching this movie. Yeah. The, the married big... the married one is she is the worst person ever. Because you got you got that scene where the the doctor comes over to the castle to use the phone, and she's like, "That's okay. I left my daughter home alone. I should get back." I, like you were the worst. I was like, "What are you doing here?" It was dumb before you had a kid left home alone. <laughs> no, and the thing was, and the thing was that the, the, this poor Hugo Stiglitz was left off roof all day. He's like, "Fuck it. The cats are still hungry. Get the doctor here." You know. And the fourth doctor ended up taking her place. You know, let me go down to this dingy dungeon with this creepy dude that I just met. Why the fuck not? Yeah, there there sure. was so many Why there not? was so many warning signs. No, and then the, another, another, another one of those t-shirt one-liners that he's not only are the cats hungry, he also likes to tell the women, "I'm gonna take you someplace where only two people have ever been." Yeah. Another, oh yeah. He also used that line a few times. <laughs> And then after he killed Gordo, he was like, uh, "I'm going to take you to show you someplace where one person has only seen." <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but the cats were also, like I said, it was fake cats. There were real cats. There was oh, a lot yeah. of cats. A lot there of was cats. a lot of cats. Although I thought they'd be uh, almost a little more of a centerpiece of the movie. Like they didn't really even uh, right. do anything until the very end. Well, uh, when they did, though, okay. So, like, the beginning of the movie I felt like was really fun and really cool, and it was like, okay, it looks like a Bruce Lee movie. This is 70s vintage mm-hmm. shit, and, like, I mean, you can time stamp it all over the place. And uh, 
it, it was it was building up to be a whole lot of fun. And then in the middle, yeah, like you were saying, the wash, rinse, repeat with him coming in on the helicopter and getting the girl and doing the same creepy fucking thing that he keeps doing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that kind of got old. And maybe it was because there was like zero dialogue and then some right, chill. Very I was like, man, if I'd have been watching this at night, I'd be out right now. <laughs> but uh but then at the very, very end, and it only lasts for like two minutes, <laughs> the cats finally come out, and uh, and and it is hilarious. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. <laughs> the cats come out and eat him, and it is the funniest thing I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and, the only, I, and the only reason they, they eat him, quote unquote, is because he has like a scar the size of a, like a fingernail, and somehow they sense that. And now, so all of us were supposed to be scared of cats. Like they wanted that yeah. to become the new joy. You know, they they could sense your blood and they're gonna come and eat you. You know, yeah. so, that, that, that's how he dies. It, this was this definitely belongs in the so bad that it is awesome category. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. Now, Philip, let me let me ask you something, man, and and and, and be honest. When you watch this one. Uh, <laughs> Were you smoking anything? I'm just gonna come out and ask you. <laughs> I may have been. <laughs> it just seems custom made for that, you know. Oh yeah, it was great with it. <laughs> Brian, what did you what did you think about this movie, man? Is this you know, a classic? Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, for the most part, I had fun. You know, this this guy is the real uh, most interesting man in the world. Oh yeah, yeah. This and, Pedophile, creep ass <laughs> motherfucker in the world. Oh yeah, what? Dude, he took her daughter. That another another reason why she's the worst parent ever. When she <laughs> realizes that he had the daughter and brought her back, she just kind of looked at him like, okay. oh. In his, in, his def- in his defense, he brought her back safe and sound. He did. He wasn't a pedophile. Philip, sister that just showed up is taking my daughter. Yeah, you. You think he made? He was, he you think he made the little? To get the attention of the mother. You think he made the little girl go up that that horrible rope ladder that he kept dropping down that everybody's <laughs> supposed to climb up? <laughs> That's a good question. But uh, for the for the most part, I thought you know it it does fall in that uh it's so you know it's it's so bad it's good. Right. I thought for the most part it was you know. There's a lot of movies during this time that fall into that category, by the way, and there's some uh, better ones too that are even more fun. That uh, the only reason why another reason why I chose this film is again, uh, Mexican cinema was totally erased from this era, so they're very these films are very difficult to find. I've been able to kind of make a collection on my own through getting them on YouTube and you know going out to the quote unquote black market and buying bootleg copies. I have quite a collection that way. But none of these oh, films cool. have, none of these films. Or ever released on DVD, they sure as hell ain't gonna be on Blu-ray. Uh, so it's it's it, it make it, it makes it hard to kind of rec- tell people what to watch, you know. And, and uh, sure. But uh, but yeah, but Hugo Stieglitz is the staple of this of this era. You see him everywhere. And the funny thing about him is that it doesn't matter how old he gets, he ha- he looks exactly the same. He always wears the glasses with the beard and, and, and the fedora hat and tries to be Mr. Cool. Sometimes he pulls it off, sometimes he does it. But yeah, he's, he's, uh, he, he's, 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 that character never changes, you know. It's always the same guy, just in different movies. Right. And if you have uh, Amazon Prime, this one is uh, free on Amazon Prime Video, That's by the right. way. Yeah, I have it. That's yeah. how I watched it, and it was awesome. I mean, you still see all the little watermarks on the on the uh, on the film. Uh, okay. And so, yeah, so it wasn't a perfect I, picture. 
Yeah, it, I mean, it's, I guess that's how it's filmed, you know? Yeah, it's, they, it's, they, like they I said, it's time-stamped. But I feel like there's a market for this. I don't know why some of these production companies, like Spring Factory, you know, or mm-hmm. Semperin, they don't, they don't take the time to kind of go down south of the border and pick a lot of these films up. I guess there's not, they haven't well, tested the market yet, you know? But still, I mean, I know, I, know that, I know it has a big following. You just can't find these films anywhere. Hey, maybe, maybe somebody needs to do it. Yeah, well, no? me. <laughs> <laughs> you get too many other things going on, huh? Well, I know, I just don't got that kind of money. You know, these things are expensive to like, you know, clean restore. Up. Yeah, restore. Sure. And, and now, now these nerds, they want their 4K and stuff. You know, it's like. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? Could you even imagine this movie in 4K? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can do. It's old. It, yeah. it, it's 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 fun the way it is, man. Don't change a thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of kind of grindhouse style, huh? Yeah, that's, that's very really grindhouse style. That, that's really what it is, you know. Sure. And to be fair, the United States around this time was doing the same shit with the whole, you know, Forty Second Street, you know, the Times Square, you know, thing with the with the films and the, those B movies. This is the same shit. Yeah, I think it was more of a subgenre though. Here, right? W- weren't you weren't you saying during this time frame the, these were considered like the mainstream, you know, quote unquote horror movies in Mexico? That's right. Yeah, and 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 here in the United States, the grindhouse scene was definitely a, a niche. Uh, sure. You know? Okay. Yeah, fun movie, guys. I loved it. Um, so, uh, who wants to? Well, I guess uh, Pedro, you went first. You, what's your score, man? I mean, I give it like a like a five on ten, man. I mean, that's great. <laughs> that's excellent uh, it's one of those films that you gotta you know you can't just watch it you know you gotta kind of psych yourself up for it if you're not in a mood for this sure. you're just not yeah gonna, you're not you're not gonna finish it you know because it's like there's there's this is this one and also the devil's back when i was gonna bring this point earlier uh subtitle films you gotta kind of like jazz yourself for these kind of films because they're, they could be yeah they could become somewhat of a drag you know and same thing with mm-hmm. these kind of films where like there's nothing going on um, you know, the reason, let's be real about it, the reason why we saw a lot of, of scenes where, like, nothing's happened is because they had no story, you know, but somehow they had to pad the clock. Sure, yeah. they had sure. The of course. So it's like, okay, well, <laughs> let's, just, let's just show them flying around this wacky toy helicopter for, you know, three minutes. And, and All right, with the music. With, with the, the music was cool, though. The music was cool. Well, yeah, kind of I imagine they music. spent a whole lot of the budget on renting a helicopter for a day, and they were like, <laughs> we rented the motherfucker, we're going to use it. Yeah. <laughs> It might have been the same scene over and over. We just didn't pick up on it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was. I think it probably was. <laughs> I think it probably was. I'm I'm gonna go higher on this one, man. I give it a I give it a six. I had a lot of fun watching this movie. All right. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree with you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a six. It was uh it definitely belongs in so bad it's good. It was super funny. I loved it. Uh, I'm going I'm to meet you guys in the middle. I'm going to go five and a half. All right. It, this is definitely, uh, like you said earlier, so bad it's good. And I think everybody should uh, just just check it out. Yeah. Although there was a part in the middle when I was like, oh, my God, I can't watch this anymore. <laughs> but now, then it picked back up. <laughs> I do love the fact that it's like the old saying goes, you know, like Roger Corman used to say, when the monster's dead, the movie's over. There's nothing left to say. <laughs> Roll the right. They took that literally here because when he's dead, it, it's over. The movie. It's he, done. He, yeah. Literally dies. Credits roll up. Movie's over. Go home. Yep. You know? There, there ain't no bullshitting at the end. There ain't none of that shit. Yep. Dead, I agree. Movie's over. You know. <laughs> that, that's how it used to be back it's, in the day. 
Yeah, and she, she jumps in the car and books it. And that's it. We don't know if she yeah. crashes down the street. We don't know. Right. We don't know if this guy had a twin brother that has another castle up the road, and she probably walked in there. We don't know any of that shit. He's dead, and roll the credits. Didn't come home to find her daughter dead or anything. You know, we don't know. Roll <laughs> <Both> credits. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you guys ready to move on to uh, to some wrestling? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. So it's uh, Santo and the Vengeance of the Vampire Women's, which is, I guess, was the 1970 uh, loosely based sequel to the, to the to the other one that I found, which did have subtitles. Um, directed by Federico Curiel, also known for The Hooded Men from Hell, and uh, Santo in El Hotel de la Muerte. Yeah. <laughs> uh, writers Jorge Garcia Besnay and Fernando Osis, also known for numerous films starring Santo as well as The Blue Demon. Right. Uh, and then the little, only little bit of trivia is this. Uh, Rodolfo uh, Guzman Huerta, more widely known as El Santo. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, you got it. Uh, he's a Mexican uh, luchador, film actor, and folk icon. Uh, El Santo, along with Blue Demon and Mil Mascaras, is one of the most famous and iconic of all Mexican luchadores and has been referred to as one of the greatest legends in Mexican sports. Okay. Um, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 no. Lay the knowledge down on us, Pedro. Okay, the thing about El Santo, this is what, let's put this in perspective. The guy, the guy's a goddamn cultural icon and national treasure in Mexico, right? Like, there, I don't think I, I could equate that to the United States here. Like, like people always say, "Well, is he as big as is he the equivalent of Hulk Hogan?" No, because right. people, Hulk Hogan, even though you know some people know him, even though they don't follow wrestling, this guy is an institution in Mexico. Everybody knows who El Santo is, um, you know. Whereas Hogan, there's is more of a niche thing, even though he's kind of mainstream, right? Um, so, so there, there is no equivalent in America to what Santo represents in Mexico. The guy, again, he's a, he's a national treasure over there. There's statues of him, and you know. Really. Right. Yeah. Um, and also, there's a the day that he died in 1984. I forget the date, but that day is like celebrated. Like that was El Santo Day, you know. Um, and of course, there's nothing to be taken too serious. Like everything is done tongue in cheek, but it's mm-hmm. he's still he's still celebrated in Mexico. Like that, it's a big deal. Um, you know, it's like Elvis. Uh, there you go. That, that's a pretty good equivalent. There you yeah. go. Now, now we're starting. Yeah, Alvin. Yeah, there you go. So, so, um, so the guy, the guy's a big deal in Mexico. Um, yeah, like I say, he started wrestling, uh, and then he didn't want to do movies in the beginning. Um, what mm-hmm. happened? What happened was that as he was a wrestler, he wasn't well known um, in the '40s, going into the '50s, and okay. and uh, and a comic book writer. Decided to just do a comic about El Santo, you know, because he used to like to go to the wrestling matches. So that's what kind of started people that weren't really into wrestling started to know about El Santo. Now, and then they wanted to hire him to do movies. In the beginning, he said no. Then he did a couple movies where he wasn't El Santo. He was just a detective. Now, it was wacky because he was a detective in the movie, but he was still wearing his mask. So you'll see him. Right. (laughs) So you'll see him like in a suit trying to solve crime and stuff, but he was wearing a mask the whole time. Um, I was gonna ask you about that, but okay. Yeah, and and so and so actually that became a very popular Halloween costume. Now if you go to like Halloween parties, you'll see guys wearing a Santo mask with a suit on because he would he would do that, you know. So so um so they, he he said okay fine I'll do a couple movies and again he wasn't even the main character but he started building up steam the steam and steam. And then uh, one of the producers in Mexico decided to make uh, El Santo versus the Zombies. 
That was his first film where he sure. was the lead. And that film blew up. And from there, he kind of became the B-movie icon, you know, where uh, he was wrestling but also making movies. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the culture in Mexico ate it up. You know, they started going to his movies and he became a big deal. And I think he did something like 40-something 48 films he did total. Um, okay, well let me let me ask you this, Pedro. The the first movie, the zombie movie, how how long after uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead did that come out? Would you say just a, a year or two or a couple of years? Uh, I think it was a couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm just kind of curious if that was uh, actually. You know what? I think I think that was way before. Like 62, is it possible that this dude uh, came up with the, the zombie idea first? Uh, I don't want to say that because a lot of these films were re, renamed years later, and that's kind of the... Ah, okay, yeah, okay, kind of the, hard to the, say. That's right, that's kind of the names that we are, we've adopted since they re... Because what happened is that uh, a lot of these films were lost, you know, through the, through the time, and they didn't get rediscovered, so he really blew up with like with film like number 10 or 11 or something like that. Sure. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, this guy's a draw. He's making money. Let's go ahead and get his earlier films, repackage them, and then bring them out there. So it could be that Santo versus the Zombies um, didn't really come. When, when it came out, it probably was around 69, where that was around the uh, you know Night of the Living Dead craze. But even Night of the Living mm-hmm. Dead with the zombie thing, they didn't even popularize that. I think, you know, like White Zombie right. was the first one that really did that. So, um, you know. Yeah, that was way before, wasn't yeah. it? So the zombies yeah, but they were all like voodoo zombies before Night of the Living Dead. That's right. That's when they were like, I'm going to eat you zombies. Hmm. I'd like to go back and, and, and watch this one then and see how and see how they were portrayed, you know? Yeah, and a lot of the Sansa movies are readily available. A lot of them are on YouTube. I mean, not, not all of them are subtitled. But, um, but yeah, so they're all out there. Um, so the thing is that for this movie we're going to talk about with the vampire women, uh, there was an American producer who decided to market Santo, but he didn't call him Santo, he called him Samson. Which is Samson? <laughs> because Santo means okay. saint. That's a, he, should, he didn't right. call him the saint, he called him Samson. But doesn't okay. Samson have like long hair? Mm-hmm. Like why, why would he call him Samson? It makes no sense. I guess no was, sense at all. So, so this was one of the, I think this was one of only two or three. Il films. Santo! We're going to call you Samson. <laughs> That's how that works. I'm going to put a million dollars in your bank account tomorrow if you go with the Samson. you got to be great, kid. Yes, I <laughs> See, see? So uh, anyway, so that's the story. And this was uh, Las Mujeres Contra La Mujeres Vampiro was probably his most famous American mm-hmm. movie. You know, So this is the one that everybody kind of, uh, Americans kind of watched. And then, obviously, later on, like, Mystery Science Theater ripped it, and, and so it has a big following. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh... <laughs> Brian, what did you think about this movie, man? You know what? I'm not even sure if I watched the right movies, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch the black and white one? Yes. Oh, uh, we watched the first color one. one, man. That's cool. You watched the sixty, the 1963 one, then. Okay. So, Is tell, us, tell us movie? about that. No, tell us about that movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it wasn't subtitled, so I did my best to follow the story. Um, right. I enjoyed uh, Santo in it, you know, threw in some wrestling there, you know, some vampire women. <laughs> uh, I also saw the, the, the black and white one, by the way. Okay. Okay, cool. I thought it was pretty cool he would jump into his James Bond sports car yeah. to go to go, you know, 
go fight these vampire women who were hideous before they got their blood fix, and then they were just beautiful after. Okay. And uh, <laughs> definitely saw a different one. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, like I said, it, it, it was it was a subtitle, so I, it was kind of hard to follow what was going on. But um, yeah, that's all I've got to say. That's about the extent of the movie. <laughs> so, so pretty much, the film is it starts off with a. There's like this lead vampire, right? The women, and we don't even know where she comes from. She's just there at right. the beginning. She she yeah. she shows up again in this in this 1971. She came from the title. She's vampire woman. Yeah. Yeah. So so she starts going through this like weird spell that takes forever, by the way. It's like a three minute scene of her just like <laughs> reciting a spell, right? Okay. And, and all of a sudden, uh, she's kind of like ugly looking, but then like a puff of smoke happens, and then she's beautiful, and then she kind of. Uh, goes to these coffins and then like all kinds of hot women come out of there. So those are your <laughs> Okay. So actually the two movies were pretty close to each other. So, <laughs> it, it, it might just be a remake. So um so for whatever reason and again, even though I speak Spanish, I was trying I couldn't make two cents about it myself either. I was trying to connect the dots too. So what right. happens is that for some reason this vampire femme fatale, we're gonna call her Decides to target uh, this one girl that, that's the daughter of this guy. This yeah, that, that's that's where I was getting lost. I didn't understand why she was the main focus. So so all of a sudden, this teacher, professor, whatever, he just has like like the like a straight uh, phone number to El Santo, and when he finds out that this vampire right. queen is coming after his daughter, he just calls that him. Phone. He just calls him. And it's wacky because he calls him and she, he has a screen where, where like he could see El Santo. Like I don't know sure. how that happens. Super yeah, high kind of kind of like Adam West Batman. Yeah, kinda, yeah. It's very yeah. Or West get Batman. smart. Yeah. So so, um, <laughs> so all of a sudden El Santo finds out. But before that, we gotta watch a wrestling match. Now I'm not talking about clips of a wrestling match. We gotta watch a full, entire a full match. match, right? <laughs> so, so I'm there, I'm there, I'm there. I, I'll admit I had it in the background, you know, whatever. And I'm watching this match, right? I'm like, what the? Why is it still? It's like five minutes of them just wrestling. <laughs> and and uh, just when I was gonna go to the fast forward button, then it went to the next scene. I was like, okay, goddammit, finally. And that happens twice, by the way, because later on, there's like a. Zombie. He's a wrestler. There's like. What are you gonna do? But I mean, geez, we gotta, we, we're good for the clips, you know. We don't have to see. <laughs> we get the idea. So, and then it happens twice because later on, there's this zombie wrestler that kills the wrestler that Santo was gonna face, and then he takes oh, over. Oh no! And then he goes in there. Do you remember this, Brian? Because I, I remember that scene. That was towards the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm surprised he didn't tap out by then. So uh, I, I hung in there. <laughs> So then that's another match we got to see for about five minutes because the zombie mm-hmm. wrestler is trying to kill him. And and Santo doesn't even like, they type, they, the, the, his corner tells him, is this guy trying to kill you? And El Santo's like, yeah, but I'll take care of it. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> like, what the fuck's going on? Like, he's trying to kill you. He's not trying to work with you. And so um, he, he does, to his credit, he does take care of him because he's El Santo. And then, uh, and then at, towards the end, he goes to all of a sudden this vampire queen resurrects a bunch of El Santo lookalikes. Like we're watching mm-hmm. like Spider-Man, I mean Superman three or which is the one where he fights himself? Is that four? Uh, Superman four? One of them where he he fights himself? Uh, that's three. The canon film ones. So then um, so so we have Santo fighting like 
like evil Santos, and then fucking uh, he just burns their coffins and they just die. He literally goes has a torch and he just burns their coffins and that's how they die. That's the mm-hmm. movie. That's okay, the movie. he hops in his James Bond car and drives off. Yeah, almost almost <laughs> the same movie. Did Philip, you saw the color one uh, like I did? Um, I saw. I, I didn't have time to watch the whole thing, so I skimmed okay. through it real quick. Well, but surprise- um, man. I actually got stuck kind of halfway through, like when uh, he's he's in this in the middle of a wrestling match, which I was actually sure. watching, by the way. It was, yeah, I was too. It was pretty interesting. <laughs> and uh, and then he's uh, the the vampire chick is like channeling uh, him through her mind, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a really him. interesting scene. Yeah, I, I not in English, not subtitled. I had no mm-hmm. idea what the hell they were saying, but uh, it was I. It was really interesting. I got kind of stuck. I, I think it was probably better than the cat movie. <laughs> yeah, but, I, uh, the, I can tell you the only the only difference I think between this one and the and the sixty three one is that uh, they they brought her back the main vampire lady. They brought her back from the dead. She was basically just a husk, and they would go out to a strip. Yeah, it's like a strip club or a kind of like a go go dancer club. Uh, and that, that part was kind of neat to watch. But they would pick up a yeah, they would pick up a chick from there and like go into the back room with her, like they're gonna do a happy ending type thing, and then they'd knock her out cold and take her and and uh, the mad scientist would uh, take all of her fresh blood and infuse it with the uh, you know with the old husk of the of the lead vampire, and that brought her back to life. And then their plan was to basically take over the world and turn everybody into a vampire. At the end, he, uh, Santo and his buddies set all the, all the, uh, the caskets on fire. Sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, two full, yeah, two full five to ten minute wrestling scenes in, in the movie. <laughs> right. And who knows why? <laughs> But it, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Because he's a wrestler. It was fun. And, hey, he's a pimp, man. Who else can walk around with no shirt on at, at a swimming pool wearing wearing swim trunks and a big mask? And every <laughs> chick comes up and swoons at him. Right, Philip? Yeah. And instead of being, you know, a creepy guy in a helicopter. <laughs> right. And, of course, in, in, in Lucha Libre, the mask, they did become a big deal in Mexico. Like, if you're a luchador and you have your mask, you don't take that mm-hmm. off for nothing. You know, right. I mean, well, he did. He did it. Even <laughs> to the day he died, he like he just. I think they buried him with his mask. Um, wow. And of course, later on, like you said, you know, the blue demon came out as a sidekick. Mill um, Mascaros came out later. So they really tried. You know, they 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 found their golden goose, and they tried to get more wrestlers involved because people were actually going to watch these films. So they tried mm-hmm. to you know incorporate more wrestlers because they they thought that was the the, the, the key. You know. And, and and later on, you know, they became very, they became classic movies. If you're into the horror genre, the thing about Mexico is that if you're in the horror genre, you think of Mexican horror, you think of these kind of films. Because that's the kind of yeah. uh, impression they left in the culture. Yeah, well, definitely a lot of fun. Um, what would you guys rate it, the, the one you guys saw, the 63 version? I would go six on it. Cause I, cool. Yeah, because it, it did have some interesting parts. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, the... The middle of the film is pretty good. Like, like you know, it, I was into it, and um, you know, it, it was moving pretty good. And there's actually a lot of like action scenes for it being kind of an older film too. Like, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not like plotting and you know, it's slow. There's there, there's some creepy moments in it too. And um, it was a lot better than the Mummy this year though. And it was kind of the same storyline. Oh no, kidding. <laughs> Fair enough. 
So, so uh, yeah, man. So I, I give it about a six on ten. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I'm gonna go a little bit higher, six and a half. Um, oh, nice. I had fun with it. You know, I mean, like I said, I, I couldn't follow the story as, as well as I wanted to, but I mean, you got like an old school monster movie and wrestling thrown in the in the one, and you get two wrestling matches, which I too actually watched all of them completely through. So uh, I'm gonna go. So uh, six and a half. All right, cool. Well, the 1971, I'll uh, I, I would I would go for five uh, five and a half for the movie, except the uh, the scenes in the in the Go Go Dancer Club. I'm gonna raise it up to a six. Philip, nice. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna say I have to go six and a half because I I do think oh, that cool. it was uh, it was better than the Thousand Cats. Um, All right. <laughs> from the little bit that I saw of it, man, like it really. Even though I didn't understand what they were saying and it was kind of hard to, to follow the story, it was it was that same time capsule feel, but probably a better movie. All right, cool. Well, uh, I guess uh, at this point it's probably time to say goodnight so we can stay under our uh, time time limit that we're trying to stay on on the show. We're trying to keep everything uh, under two hours at this point. We don't want to go too far over, but um, obviously, Pedro, we want to thank you for – for showing up, dude. Thanks you know, me, it, really appreciate you being on. Thanks for having me. What's uh, what what's going on with you guys now? Tell us where all we can find you. Uh, where's your? You guys are on iTunes and everything too, aren't you? Yeah, we're on iTunes under K Fabulous Lucha Brothers. Uh, you can find us there. Um, again, we're on Geekdom101.com. Uh, you can find us there. Um, and that's pretty much it. You know, I kind of keep a low profile on social media. It's not really my thing. Um, uh, I will say this though, if you're into Star Wars, uh, my partner Big D, he's kind of, he, you know, he's deep, deep into that because he actually does that for a living. He covers all that stuff. So yeah, cool. Last week's episode, he he, he has a lot of spoilers for the, for episode eight. So uh, you know, a lot of the, we we go into a lot of theories and also a little bit spoilers because he's really kind of he knows people that that are involved in all that stuff. So um, if that's your thing and you want spoilers, it was a very interesting conversation. Where the where the franchise is going, where this trilogy is going, and so um, definitely check that out. It was uh, last week's episode. A lot of Star Wars talk. Awesome. Yeah, I know we got a lot of Star Wars fans that listen to the show, so you can, it's it's okay yeah. to be a horror fan and also Star Wars and Trek. No problem. It's allowable. Even you can even like wrestling, right, Brian? Absolutely. All right. Well, guys, uh, if, uh, as always, we want to thank all of you for listening to another episode of The Horror Returns. We would love to hear your feedback and ideas. And you can always reach us at thehorrorreturns at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, iTunes, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, next week, uh, we're actually going to go back in time and do another uh, year in horror. This will be the third in our series. And the year this time is going to be 1971. And we're going to check out uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, Willard, and with any luck, if we can find it, uh, Vampiros Lesbos. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that, that, those are three good choices. Yeah, still trying to find that one. Uh, all right, so until the horror returns again, Philip. Buenos noches. That's what we were waiting for. Yeah.